Amen, amen. Hey, will you uh, stand with me as we read the scriptures together and honor God's word? We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And it says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning. Good, all right. A little bit of life today. Good, good. All right, all right. Got something to work with then. Here we go. Uh, Jesus says, Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way of putting it is you can see what grips your heart by what you're investing in. It could be investment of time, it could be investment of money, it could be an investment of energy, but Jesus cautions us about investing too heavily in temporal things because he's concerned for our heart. He's concerned for the well-being of our heart. So he says, don't invest too heavily in temporal things because they wear out, they fade, they can get stolen, anything could happen. It seems like the last few years have kind of been a social commentary on this. There has been so much uncertainty, right? 
disappointments, if not heartache, genuine heartache for a lot of people. Um, and sadly, it doesn't seem to be going away, does it? I really was hopeful that, that we were you know, moving on uh, out of COVID and into something bright, you know, bright new skies. And it, it just, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't fully get that sense yet. The social anxiety continues to rise. I mean, do you sen I, I sense that. I don't know about you, but the social anxiety continues to rise as gas prices rise, as inflation rises, as new wars arise, and there's new prophecies given by the pundits of what's going to happen to the economy. Jesus cautions us about investing too heavily in temporal things because he cares about our hearts. And there's another reason, there's another reason Jesus cautions us about our investments that I think is actually even more important. Um, James K.A. Smith, in his book, you, um, you Are What You Love, says that what our heart loves is what we worship, and what we worship is where we find our worth. Jesus lovingly cautions us about what we're investing in because with so many uncertainties in life, he doesn't want us to build our worth and our identity on sand. I think the question the Spirit is asking us this morning, what are we investing in? What are we investing in? Because banking on Christ is truly our best bet. That's where we're gonna be headed this morning, okay? We're gonna keep with this metaphor or this theme of investing and banking, because Paul actually uses it, so we'll get there. Banking on Christ, banking fully on Christ is our best bet. And so he starts, verses one through four, they should be on the screen there. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Here's our first point this morning. We must beware of banking on any identity marker beside Christ. So we're going to lay some groundwork in this point, okay? And it's crucial for us to move forward because this, this was written 2,000 years ago. And, and, and I, we, got, we got to lay a little bit of groundwork to see the, the eternal relevance of it for our lives today. So in Paul's culture, it was a very, very religious culture back then, okay? In fact, it was so religious that the early Christians in the Roman society were actually called atheists. Wow, we live in a much different time, huh? You know why they were called atheists? Because they only believed in one God, not hundreds and thousands. So like, man, you guys are atheists. Wow, like, do you even believe in God? Like, we live in a much different time. And so many of the social mores, many of the, the cultural identity markers of that time were religiously motivated. And we'll see that today. There's, we're we're going to be talking about Jewish identity markers today. 
Fast forward to today, we live in a very secular society. Um, most of our institutions are not religiously affiliated. And so although we may not have a lot of religiously motivated identity markers, which we do have some, but not as many, um, we still have cultural identity markers that are competing for us to find our worth in. So what do I mean when I'm talking about identity marker? Well, do you have an iPhone or do you have an Android? I don't want to, don't mean to stir any fights up in here. Do you live in La Jolla or do you live in Lakeside? <laughs> I used to live in Lakeside, so I can make fun of them. <laughs> or if you're like me, when you make your coffee in the morning, you have a scale and a hand grinder because, of course, you're just... You know, you know coffee, you're a connoisseur, you're, you're that sophisticated, you're really that cool, you know what I mean? You can laugh, it's just a joke. Probably find too much identity in my coffee. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with any of these, right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with them, but we need to beware. We need to beware how consciously or unconsciously they can usurp our identity in Christ and consequently, our self-worth. And this is why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. It's a safeguard. It's a safeguard. It protects you. Joy in the Lord protects us from finding our worth and our identity in social, cultural, even ideological identity markers. The more we're satisfied in our relationship with Jesus, the more we find value in him and less in temporal, fading, fleeting things. So Paul issues this warning to the church of Philippi, and he tells them something that um, he's already told them before, but it bears worth repeating. He says, watch out. Watch out, in, in their case, in that day, watch out for these people. Now, these people are typically called the Judaizers, and we see them, we see Paul's run-in with them all over the New Testament. The Judaizers were Messianic Jews, meaning they were Jews who believed in Jesus, but they also believed that Gentile converts must adopt key Jewish identity markers, such as keeping the Sabbath, strictly keeping the Sabbath, keeping kosher, and and um, circumcision if you were a male. Now, we know these are the, uh, the Judaizers he's talking about because he, he calls them, he says, beware of those dogs, beware of those evildoers, beware of those mutilators of the flesh. Now, this is a, a derogatory way of speaking of Jewish circumcision, right? We get that now. But we need to realize that Paul's strong denunciation of these people isn't just a burst of outrage. By making these demands on the Gentiles, these guys are literally toying with people's relationships with God. This is a make or break issue for Paul. In effect, this amounted to saying that trusting in Jesus alone for salvation wasn't enough. You needed to believe in Jesus plus adopt all these cultural and religious mores to be saved. 
to be in, to be accepted. And the end game of this, of course, is that it just messes with people's identities. To the Judaizers, these religious identity markers were the gauge of your right standing with God. It gave people a false sense of security and identity. And this really is the heart of the matter we get at today. We see it in verse three. Paul says in his rebuttal, we are the circumcision. This is a, this is a statement of our identity right here. This, um, essentially what he's saying is that we are the people of God, like the Old Testament Israelites were, and they were circumcised. They were considered the people of God. They were in the covenant. Um, He's saying we are that. We are the people of God. This is our identity. And so we need to be careful what other markers we're relying on. What we bank on, again, is where we find our identity. And where we find our identity is where we find our worth. Or again, as Smith said, what we love, we worship. And what we worship is where we find our worth. And so Paul continues, we are the circumcision who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, we are the people of God who make our boast, who find our joy, our ultimate joy and satisfaction in Christ. not in any other thing that we can take pride in or as a badge of honor. And there's an there's a implied contrast here when Paul says, we serve God by the Spirit. See, in all likelihood, these people thought they were rendering true service and worship to God by insisting that you needed to be circumcised as the right way to worship him. They're gaining a sense of justification from their work, but it's false. It doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't add a shred of significance. And this is why Paul's going to jump right into his own resume and says that if anyone, if anyone has a sense of justification, if anyone has a reason for self-confidence, it is me. But it all means nothing compared to the value, the identity, the justification, the worth found in knowing Christ. And this leads us to our next section. If we pick up again at the end of chapter, uh, verse four, he says, if, anyone, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here's our second point today. All investments are lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. All investments are lost compared to the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ. And so here we see this accounting terminology that Paul uses here. And it gives us a, a picture of like a profit and loss statement. How many of us are business owners or ever seen a profit and loss statement before? This is kind of the picture uh, Paul gives us here. Knowing Jesus is ultimate gain. And rather than enhancing our life or our joy, um, finding our identity in anything outside of our relationship with Christ only subtracts from our ultimate joy and sense of significance. Paul uses his own life as an example. He shares his resume to show that if anyone had climbed the social ladder, if anyone had the right to feel accomplished, it was him. Paul's identity markers, according to the circle of peers he ran in, were impeccable. He was an elite of the elite, the smartest and best at what he did in his field. If anyone could speak on the significance of circumcision, it was him. He had been circumcised his entire life from the eighth day, according to the Old Testament. If anyone could speak on behalf of the Jews, it was Paul. He was from the chosen people group of God, like the chosen ethnic group, if you will. That's what he's saying. If anyone could speak authoritatively on the matters of the Old Testament, it was him. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were literally like the lawyers and politicians of Israel, okay? And he had studied under, he says in Acts, Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was like the president, he was the president of the Sanhedrin, which would be comparable to like if we had a president of the Supreme Court of the U.S. That's who he studied under. This was, this was the Paul, this is the person's writing we're reading today. If anyone wanted to talk about righteousness, how to have right standing, how to be in the right graces, you know, it was Paul. Based on face value observance of the law, he was faultless. He had every reason to feel justified in his life, but he goes on to say that none of these things necessarily have anything to do with knowing God. And from that light, they don't add a dime of value to our identity. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Finding identity, righteousness, right standing in any cultural, religious, or racial identity marker don't add a dime of value to our relationship with Christ. In light of finding our soul identity, our real, our, our realest, truest identity in Christ, they're nothing. They don't, they don't compare. In fact, Paul says that finding our identity in anything, any social, ideological, political, or even sexual identity marker outside of Jesus is utter loss. Everything is lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and finding our relationship and our identity in him. Now, listen, it's not that these things are bad, okay? Let's just clear this up real quick. None of these things are inherently bad. They're actually good things, okay? 
But there's a very fine line, and this is where we need to be careful. There's a very fine line, for example, of being a good steward of our body and body worship. There's a very fine line between self-care, which is good, and selfishness. There's a very fine line between honoring our culture, celebrating our culture, and elevating our culture. And there's a very fine line between being a good citizen and being a Christian nationalist, right? This is the distinction here. I hope, I want you to catch the nuance because it makes all the difference. When we attach our ultimate identity, our, our, our sense of significance to anything else besides I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, we lose something. We lose something. We simply have to be careful attaching any other identity marker, any other adjective before or after the identity, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian. We've seen the problems arise when we put too much stock, say for example, in the color of our skin. We've seen that. We've seen that all too well in this country. And that is why we celebrate that we are moving forward, and we still have a lot of work to do, but that's what we're celebrating here today. For hundreds of years in this country, and even still to this day, the very presence of another person's, uh, their skin color was, was uh, threatened the existence of many whites in this country. And why? You put too much stock in the color of your skin. There's just too much stock. And so we need to violently protect it because that's where my, my core identity is found. And that can happen to any, any ethnicity, any color, anybody. Paul said, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he didn't find his soul worth in this. In comparison to the value he found in Christ, it just didn't even compare. It didn't even compare. So again, don't mishear me. It's not that this isn't important. It is important. But in comparison, right? In comparison to the identity we find in Christ that transcends any ethnicity, any color, any gender, they hardly matter. They hardly matter. These are not our primary definers. What about political persuasions? They're another common identity marker in this country. But get this, our political affiliations do not make us righteous before the Lord. I think that's worth repeating. Our political, I don't care what side you are. I don't care. Our political affiliations do not make us righteous before Jesus. They may in the world's eyes, they may in the circles that we're in, but they're trash. They're trash compared to finding our soul worth and our identity in Jesus. And we have to be careful of this, right? We've all seen people, and again, social justice issues. We need to be involved in them. We need to be doing. We're the salt and the light of the earth. We need to be involved. But we've all seen people who make it a badge of honor, right? That's when you put too much stock in it. Here's the question for us today. What are you putting stock in? What are you investing in? 
What are you finding your worth in? Because that's what it boils down to. It could be a job, it could be a degree, it could be a relationship, it could be an accomplishment. I had to ask myself that this week as I was studying this, of course, and the American dream has taught me that I need to have a nice car and I need to own a house with a white picket fence in order to feel like I've made it, in order to feel like I'm somebody. And I can't tell you how many times I go in to start my little white egg car. It's a Mitsubishi Mirage. I've had these egg cars. I've had, oh gosh. What was a Toyota? I had a Toyota Echo before. I can't get away from the eggs. I just don't get it. I can't tell you how many times I go to start my little, it gets like 40 miles for the gallon though, so it's pretty good. And it's not a hybrid, by the way. It only has three cylinders. <laughs> I have to start the rubber band every time I'm going up to my parents and Julian. Uh, it's winded up. Um, I can't tell you though how many times I get in my little car and I go to start it and it squeals because my starter, I need a new starter and haven't been able to replace it yet. And I just, this sense of shame just is on me like, man, are you serious? Is this like, is this who I am? Like, people are looking at me, yeah. I drive the egg car that squeals. <laughs> or I can't tell you how many times I, I invite people over to, to host, you know, to have them over for dinner in my, in my little house and they have to kind of shuffle to sit at my dinner table because my house is too small, because I live in a one bedroom house, because I live in San Diego and, <laughs> and it's just a million dollars and it's like, man, the shame of like, is this really who I am? Like, is this who I am? Well, socially, on the totem pole, like, I can't tell you how many times I really, and you know what, friends? My value is not determined by how big my home is, or how nice my car is, or what watch I wear, or what school I went to, or what job I have, or what color is my skin, or whether I live in South Park or in Santee. Our values do not derive from these things. What are we putting our identity in? If it's not Jesus, it's nothing. It means nothing. Because if you're investing, if you're investing in something outside Jesus, it's fickle. It's uncertain. All it takes is the job market to crash and you lose your job. All it takes is a car crash, and you lose that ability. All it takes is for you to grow older, and then we start aging. All it takes is you losing the election, or your constitutional right even, as, as amazing and wonderful as they are, and then we'll riot. Driving our worth outside of Christ is worthless because it's inherently unstable. But here it is, you cannot lose when you invest everything in your relationship with Jesus. You cannot lose. So Paul went on, I want to know Christ. That's who I want to know, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
See, banking on Christ profits us power, resurrection power, even power that would help us endure sufferings, even self-sacrificial sufferings, cruciform sufferings, becoming like him in his death sufferings. Why? Because we have hope. Because we have hope in the resurrection. We have hope beyond this temporal life. In Christ, we find such worth and identity because we're friends with the worthiest of all. Our self-image comes from being made in his image. He gives us a future and a hope that is secure. And that's where, this is the key. I think this is the key for us. That's where we find the power to live like Jesus did even when it welcomes sufferings. This is the key to it. That's where Paul found the power to live like Jesus and say rejoice in a jail cell, in a jail cell. All our investments are lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And lastly, not only should we bank on Christ alone, but like any relationship, we have to keep investing. We have to press on. We have to keep investing in our relationship with Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to, the, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, like any relationship, we cannot become passive in our relationship with Jesus. I think this is a really important reminder for all of us. We must move forward. We have to move forward. When we settle for the status quo of any relationship, that's when we lose the joy. That's when we lose the passion, right? That's when we lose the love. We must press on to know Jesus more. There's more profit to be gained. There's more interest to be made in this. In deeper intimacy with Jesus, we can't afford to relax in this relationship. We can't afford to become complacent. And Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I mean, Paul the apostle here, he says, I haven't arrived yet. And I'm not gonna settle for anything less than the fullness of why Jesus took hold of me in the first place. I want all of that. I won't settle for anything less than the surpassing, far surpassing worth found in knowing Jesus, I'm forgetting the past. I'm forgetting tomorrow, and I'm straining forward to the future. As a reminder, friends, we have you know, so, much, so much here in America. We are so blessed financially and in every single way. My dinner table always has food on it. Lights are there, and I have running water. But we have to remember that Christianity is a future-oriented faith. Even though we have so much now, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what is offered to us. 
compared to the hope of heaven. Christianity is a future-oriented faith, and we must keep that focus on our mind. If not, then our eyes start looking at this temporary moment, and we try to build our kingdom, and we try to build heaven here on fickle, shifting sands. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God's identity here. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. There's more. But we know that when he appears, we're gonna be like him because we see him as he is. See, our identity is wrapped up in our relationship with Jesus. The more we know him, the more we know ourselves. The more we see his worth, the more we derive our worth. How could it not be? He made us, right? The most infinitely worthy being in the universe made you in his image. He knows you better than yourself. And when we strayed, we strayed him to pursue all the sin and all the idols we thought would make us happy. He came to pursue us. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And he suffered and died to incur the debt of our foolish investments. He paid it off. Jesus traded everything for you, and he counted it as garbage. And in place of our, the, the true garbage that we were seeking, in place of that, in place of our sin, in place of our shame, he makes us righteous. All of our worth, all our acceptance, all we're looking for is found in him. By all accounts, Jesus invested fully in us. In Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and he sold all so that he could buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I can't help but think as Jesus is saying this to us as a reminder to what a relationship with him is like, he knew this from personal experience because he was gonna go to the cross for us, the pearl of great price in his eyes, the treasure in a field. How many of us have heard um, the story of the little girl and the pearl necklace? Maybe one, maybe two? Okay, a few, okay. I'm gonna share this, I love this. So I just wanted to see who all heard it, but 
I'm just gonna share this. This is a great story, okay, as we close. The cheerful girl with bouncy golden curls was almost five. Waiting with her mother at the checkout stand, she saw them, a circle of glistening white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, mommy, please, can I have them? Please, mommy, please. Quickly, the mother checked the back of the little foil box and then looked up into the pleading blue eyes of her little girl's upturned face. A dollar ninety-five. That's almost two dollars. It's probably different times back then. <laughs> but if you really want them, I'll think of some extra chores for you, and in no time you can save enough money to buy them for yourself. As soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bank and counted out 17 pennies. Really different times. <laughs> After dinner, she did more than her fair share of chores. She went to her neighbors and asked if she could pick dandelions for 10 cents. On her birthday, grandma gave her another new dollar. And at last, she had enough money to buy the necklace. Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel grown up. She wore them everywhere. She wore them to Sunday school, to kindergarten, even to bed. Jenny had a very good dad. And every night he would stop whatever he was doing. He would come upstairs and give her a bedtime story. One night when he finished the story, he asked her, Jenny, do you love me? Oh yes, daddy, you know that I love you. He asked, then may I have your pearls? Daddy, not my pearls. But you can have my princess, the, the white horse for my collection. Remember, Daddy, the one you gave me? She's my favorite princess, the white horse. That's okay, honey. Daddy loves you. Good night, as he kissed her on the cheek. About a week later, after story time again, Daddy, Jenny's daddy asked, do you love me? Daddy, you know I love you. Then can I have your pearls? Oh, Daddy, not my pearls. We can have my baby doll, the brand new one I got for my birthday. That's okay, honey. Daddy loves you. Sleep well. Good night. And he kissed her on the cheek. Several days later, when Jenny's father came in to read her a story, Jenny was sitting on her bed and her lip was trembling. Here, Daddy, she said, and she held out her hand. She opened it, and her beloved pearl necklace was inside, and she let it slip into her father's hand. With one hand, father held the plastic pearl necklace, and with the other, he pulled out of his pocket a blue velvet box. Inside the box were real, genuine pearls. And he had them all along. He was just waiting for Jenny to give up the cheap stuff so that he could give her the real thing. Friends, when we trade all the little comforts and all the little luxuries and all the little achievements and all the little things we find so much worth and identity in, then we're able to receive the real and surpassing 
worth of knowing Jesus. I want to experience what Paul felt. How could he sit in prison and say, rejoice? Again, I say rejoice. How could he do that? He'd been shipwrecked like three times. Like, who gets shipwrecked three times? Stoned and whipped like three, or, three to five times. I can't remember. Like, how? How? He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to go, but I want to keep serving you here too. I've learned to be content in all situations. I can do everything through Christ. I know what it's like to have nothing, and I know what it's like to have everything, and it doesn't matter. I want, I want to know that. I want to know that. When we bank fully on Jesus, it's our best bet. When we're all in, you can't lose. So as we come into a time of, of communion together, let's press on. Let's press on to know him. Let's be a community who, who seeks, who's not complacent, who says we want more, who looks at our city, who looks around and says we want more, we need the presence of God. We know you're good and we're gonna live it. We're gonna live like it's true. We're gonna press into you. Let's press on to know the Lord. Let's press on to experience the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Will you bow your head with me?